everybody. Welcome into the Cubs Weekly Podcast presented by Wintrust, proud legacy partner of the Chicago Cubs and exclusive home of Cubs Checking. Open online today at Wintrust.com slash Cubs Weekly. And a reminder, we're available on all podcast platforms, so be sure to rate and subscribe. Tony and Draghi here joined by Andy Martinez. And Andy, let's get right into it. The Triple Play is our newest segment. We just talk about three things from around baseball that are on our mind. And let's talk about the Reds. We talked about it a couple weeks ago in the Triple Play. Since then, they've pretty much haven't lost. They've won yeah. 11 straight. They're in first place in the NL Central. They've barely lost since Ellie De La Cruz came up. Are the Reds legit contenders in this division? When you have won 10 in a row like they have, I think it's hard to dismiss it, right? And in a division like the NL Central, it's really hard to dismiss it. A 10-game winning streak really puts you on the map to, to win the division. If you're a Cubs fan, you're probably saying we should stop talking about the Reds because they are they're, they're on a red-hot tear since we've talked about them. But it's really interesting, right, because they're – they're on this great tear. They're in first place. They're 40 and 35, five games above 500 as we record here on, on Wednesday afternoon. But all the underlying metrics suggest that they should not be mm-hmm. this strong, right? Uh, rotation ERA of 576, which is 28th in baseball. They're three best pitchers from from the start of the season Hunter Green, Nick Lodolo, and Graham Ashcraft, all on the IL. Those are all my talking points. I agree with like, you. Like, yeah. that's, that's, just, that's just not sustainable. Yeah. Like, the negative run differential to me, I think run differential is like the number one, uh, the number one indicator of like what a team like. Rarely does a does the run differential really deviate from what a team actually is. You sometimes look at it like the Mariners and I believe it was twenty one had a negative run differential and they were in playoff contention until the very end. That negative run differential has to come up for them to, to kind of turn it around, but it, to this point it hasn't. Yeah, and it's kind of crazy that you know a 10-11 game winning streak and their run differential is still double digits in the negative right. too. So. Uh, they've been on a great run. Their offense is incredible. I think they're going to have one of the tougher offenses in baseball down the stretch. Yeah. But to be honest, like you just said about the pitching, that's why I don't see them as legit contenders. Now, that being said, like that offense is so good in the defense and, and the base running and athleticism. I mean, I think they're the fastest team in baseball now. Yep. And they're able to steal bases. We saw just what they did in Wrigley you know, just a couple of weeks ago. So if, they're, if they get any pitching at all, they're dangerous. In terms of the Cubs, I think you look at the Reds, you have to look at the Reds as the number one contender or number one uh, competition, I guess, in in the division because they've proven it so far, because they're young, because they're like, you know, cocky enough to just think like, okay, like it doesn't really matter that we can keep winning. Joey Votto just got back and and hit a home run right away. It's going to be really interesting to see how this division plays out. I'm not going to count the Cardinals out until they're out of it, yep. fully out of it, like absolutely out, which I think the Cubs this weekend can bury them in London. Yep. The Brewers, you know, Corbin Burns doesn't look like a Cy Young winner. Brandon Woodruff has been on the 60-day IL and hurt all year. They're not quite the same. They have the same Brewers-type offense, you right. know, towards the bottom of the league. So they, they're not, like, as scary. The Pirates, I think, the Cubs have taken them out of it the last week or yeah. so with, you know, they're on a nine-game losing streak right now. But the other four teams right now, I still think are in it. I, I expect the Cardinals to drop out, but to me, it, it could be a Cubs, Cincinnati, Milwaukee three-headed race down to the wire and and see. I don't think the Reds are going to go anywhere, but I do think that starting pitching is going to come back to hurt them because, like you said, Hunter Green just went on the IL. They don't have the same level of depth. You know that that rookie Andrew Abbott has been doing pretty well since he came up too. But at some point, these guys are going to have levels of of development, and, and they're just not going to. It's not consistent or sustainable, in my opinion, but who knows? They've already proven us wrong a little bit the last couple of weeks. Right, and, and like we've seen it with some of the young players for the Cubs, right? Like eventually the league adjusts to them. So like guys yeah. like Ellie De La Cruz, like there's going to be some sort of regression coming. 
whether it's as dramatic as who we've seen with some Cubs players or some players across the league, I don't know yet. But you expect the offense to kind of regress. We see it like it's there's peaks and valleys with with offenses. I think the Reds right now, with the argument they'll say is, you know, if they have they're giving up six earned runs a game or whatever it is, they're scoring eight or nine runs. So it doesn't really matter, right? If you're giving yeah. up a ton of runs, if you're scoring to match it, it doesn't really matter. I agree. I think it's it. I think it's going to be hard for them to sustain this, just given what the run differential says about them through 75 games. But it's also been 75 games and they're at this level that it's kind of, you can't totally dismiss it. No, for sure. So I, I think it'll definitely be something that bears watching in this division as we uh, move along here in the season and the Cubs continue to climb back in the playoff race as they have done recently with such a great stretch. Um, but as we're talking just about the Cubs, I, I think from Wednesday's game here, we're recording this after Wednesday's game, finished off the Pirates, another sweep, their second sweep of Pittsburgh just in the last week plus. Trey Mancini's role on this team is something that's been bouncing around my head the last couple of weeks. He was a big signing in the offseason. He was a piece that I remember seeing a lot of fans, and I remember even seeing just people around baseball, like you know, experts and talking heads were thinking that this could be a guy that helps take the lineup to the next level. And he hit 35 home runs just a few years ago with the Orioles. He was like the face of the Orioles franchise for a yeah. while. It was a huge deal when he got traded to the Astros last year. He was one of the bigger names on the market before his bat kind of went silent with Houston and he became a part-time player. Well, the Cubs signed him two-year, $14 million deal. Like, it looks like his option next year, you know, he's going to be exercised and picked up and, like, he's going to be back uh, as well. But, like, $7 million a year to play first base in DH – and he's at the point where he's playing like one out of every three games. He's essentially only starting against left-handed pitching. And then, you know, at his defense at first, he's really struggled there this yeah. season. Offensively, he hasn't shown the power the way that a lot of people thought he would. And just in general, he, he's just kind of quietly like the Cubs have already gotten rid of Eric Hosmer. Matt Mervis came up. He's back down. Now Cody Bellinger is playing first base. And it's like quietly Mancini is not a guy that people are talking about as much. But he's not a factor right now for the Cubs. And I feel like that's a really interesting storyline that is surprisingly quiet. And you mentioned it because, or you mentioned it a little bit, but I, some of you can correct me if I'm wrong or keep me honest if I'm wrong, but I believe he was probably like the second biggest, at least third biggest first baseman available in the free agent market behind maybe Jose Abreu, yeah. who signed with the Astros, right? It was, it was Abreu was probably the number one first base target. Yeah. And then Trey Mancini was probably right behind him. And the Cubs got this, the second biggest one. He was probably... The, the second, third biggest, or excuse me, third biggest uh, offensive ac- acquisition they made behind Bellinger and, and Swanson. And you're right. It's it, it's kind of like an, an afterthought of him. And mm-hmm. uh, it, it's been very quiet. And, and you think about his struggles, right? The, the, the silver lining was if he succeeds, he has that opt-out that he will probably opt-out, but then his benefits it comes because if he's succeeding, that means it's good things for the offense. Right now, it's it's really not coming through for either side. And it's going to be another year of him that yeah. you hope he can figure it out. So it's kind of weird because you, if you want him to figure it out, you kind of have to start playing him so that if you have him for two years, you want to have the best version of him possible. But right now, it's just kind of like a catch-22, right? Yeah, and the way Morell has played, obviously he's DHing for right. a reason. Uh, Cody Bellinger coming back, they want him at first base to help his knee a little bit, not play center field, not have that wear and tear. But also Mike Talkman has been incredible, right. whether it's a righty, lefty out on the mound. He, he's deserving of these starts, and to have both Talkman and Bellinger in the lineup is important. So there's not really a place for Mancini to play at the moment, mm-hmm. even when Morell's playing the field. A guy like Seiya then DHs or half DH last right. week in the homestand, and Morell plays the corner outfield spot. So, yeah, it, it's definitely something that bears watching. I, I don't know how it's going to play out, but 
maybe Mancini turns it on and he's the hitter that we saw in 2019. And But I, coming into the year, I thought he was going to be a four, five, six guy somewhere in this order, hitting 20 plus homers, flirting with maybe 80 RBI. And like, I don't even know at this point if he gets to like 12 homers and 30 RBI, you know, right, like, right. so it, it's, it's been a fascinating kind of development there. But third thing here, as we, we go around the horn, we talked uh, a little bit about this last week with Elise and she talked on the broadcast, but batting around, we had, you know, our friend Russ yep. Dorsey tweeted about this yesterday as well, but batting, what does batting around in the inning mean to you, Andy? Nine guys come up to, to the plate. Yes. Whether or not the 10th guy comes up does not matter. To me, it's the nine guys that's batting around, right? Yep. Yeah, that's, that's all, every guy batted. That's you went around the, the lineup. That's everyone batted. Yeah, no, I'm hundred percent in agreement. And the people who say 10, I don't quite understand because if you look around the clock, and we've heard the term just around, you know, colloquially around, uh, not even baseball, but just talking about around the clock, you don't go from 12 and then go all the way back around to one again. You go right. from 12 back to 12, and that's around the clock. So the way I look at it is it's nine. As long as all nine, everybody in the lineup hits, that's around to me. Yes. So it's, it's kind of a silly debate, but it's something that's been fun that we've been talking about the last week or so around here. If you're swimming or you're running and you do a, a lap around the track you don't you don't swim and then or run and then go an extra 10 meters yeah right you, you, once you get to the finish line that's one lap that's one time around yep that's that's to me is the same thing as betting around i'm in 100 percent agreement with you there <laughs> so i guess not the most interesting uh debate right here since we're fully yes, in agreement uh, but i know a lot of people around baseball or on social media uh have a differing opinion but Andy, we were talking about it a little bit. Just the Cubs have been on an insane run. Yep. You know, they've won eight of the last nine between last homestand and this Pirates series. They've won four straight series now. They took two of three of, of in uh, San Francisco against a team who, by the way, the Giants have not lost since Kyle Hendricks nearly no hit them. So right. they've been on an incredible run. Uh, they're about to. The Cubs are about to play the Cardinals, who have won four straight before the London series. There's a lot of streaky teams around baseball yes. right now, which is the, the Pirates are on the other end. They're losing nine straight. Obviously, we just talked about the Reds too, but. The Cubs have looked like that that series in Anaheim like woke them up. Yeah. They they were they were essentially bad, I would say, in in every facet of the game. Yeah. They weren't getting blown out, but the bullpen was blowing leads. The offense was struggling about as bad as I feel like they had ever, to, especially to come through with clutch hits. And the rotation was just like okay, you know, it's still strong because that's how it, it has been all year. Ever since that sweep to to Shohei and Trout and the Angels. Cubs have been on fire, and they've yeah. been playing the baseball that we saw from them in April. They've been – they're firing on all cylinders, and now they're a two-game sweep in London away from getting back to 500, which feels pretty incredible given after that Angel series, they were 10 below. Yeah, and th what's incredible is that they've put themselves back in the conversation, right? It's, it's getting to the point where Jed Hoyer and Carter Hawkins, the Cubs front office, is really thinking about – What's the team going to do in July, right? Are, yeah. are you buyers? Are you sellers? Right now they're buyers. Uh, right yeah. now they're, yeah, it's hard to say you're not a buyer. But, yeah, just 12, 13 games ago, it, that was a, that might have been a completely different answer, just given how they were playing, yeah. just given how things looked, right? It, it, it just looked very bleak. And it's totally different. And, and Jed Hoyer mentioned it, that he felt like they needed to go on kind of a run to, to kind of kickstart things back up. I mean, this, this would quantify as a run. This yep, would qualify this as a run that gets you back in it. They're three and a half games back of the Reds, who, like you mentioned, and Almost. we talked about, they're yeah. they're they're really red hot. That's that's a good that's a good situation for the Cubs to be in. And to me, the the thing that's really stood out in this run that they've been on 
It hasn't necessarily been the starting pitching because, like we mentioned, the starting pitching has been pretty solid all year. It's more so the offense, mm -hmm. right? I think when they were really good in April, what you saw, and we saw this, when when they came back against the Mariners when they were down seven runs or whatever it was, what was impressive was they it wasn't just an 8-7 win, right? They went up 8-7, and then they kept adding runs. It kept adding runs. They scored 16 runs in that game. When they were beating teams, they were blowing them out, which yeah. is what the sign of a good team. Early, throughout the, the tough stretch in May, it was like they would go ahead a run or two, and then that was all the offense they had. Mm -hmm. And the bullpen had to be perfect, right? They could they had to put up zeros every time. Any sort of mistake, it was game over. We saw that in the Marlins series where they get swept in, in Miami all one-run games. They, they lose in the, the finale against Miami at Wrigley one-run game. The, the offense just wasn't adding those tack-on runs that they had been doing. And this, the, the, these last, this last week and a half or so, it's all been tack on runs. It's all been add on yeah. runs to blow out teams. I mean, they outscored the the Pirates by like what, like thirty runs or something like that. It's it's, it's just what the signs you want to see by by uh, the Cubs offense to really sustain and 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 push forward and get yourself back into the NL Central race. Yeah, Joe Madden always used to call those jug runs because it's right. stepping on the jugular of the team, and he used to talk about it a lot. But there was huge and in. in 2016 every Cubs fan will look back at that and right. at those of us who covered it like you look back at 2016 as that's where you measure everything else any good Cubs team any somewhat good Cubs team you measure it against that's what they did awesome and it, right. they, in 2016 they had those jug runs those add-on tack-on runs consistently and they they weren't putting their bullpen in a ton of tight spots day in day out there of course there's going to be one run wins yes. right we just saw that against the Orioles on Saturday or whatever last weekend and like there are going to be close games uh, but to, to make sure that your your bullpen is not doing that every single time out, that they're not pitching with pressure, that they're not feeling like the defense, I can't make an error at this right. point, or offensively, when, when they were going poor for a while there, it seemed like a one nothing lead or even especially 2 nothing was all it needed for the Cubs to kind of be done at points the way the offense was going. Now you mentioned the comebacks. The comeback has come back for right. the Cubs. Like this team is clawing back into it, and that – that comeback uh, against Wednesday against the Pirates at home last week, that was huge. And, and yeah. I think that was that was a big momentum builder in a lot of ways. And then they go out and Mike Talkman makes a great catch defensively. And, and mm -hmm. Ross is like, that saved us. And I, it did. I feel like yeah. it really did yeah. save them because it only led to one run. It's not like Fulmer came in and gave up a bunch. So, like, there's, there's a lot of crucial little moments like that that have been going the Cubs' way. And, and some of these – Baseball luck things have come back to form, but they're also executing really well. And in one way that they're executing, like Nick Madrigal, we were talking with, with Kyle from our social team, Cubs are 10-2 and two since Madrigal got recalled. Right. It's not because of Madrigal, right? But he's playing well. He yeah. has over a 400 on base since he's come back, played good defense. What he's done well that I've been impressed with is bunting yeah. small ball our friend cole wright would love it he <laughs> you know captain small ball loves that he's having this on a loop and he's gonna have this as black he it's has just yeah like... we're gonna just have to somehow make sure that he like doesn't listen to this portion of the podcast <laughs> to know that we're complimenting him but the cubs and madrigal have yeah. executed that so well over the last week he had a sack bunt against uh i think it was friday against the orioles he sacrificed uh, a couple runners over his first and second nick nico horner came up and got a base hit drives in a run wednesday in pittsburgh some of those jug runs that you're talking about first and second nobody out Madrigal lays down a perfect bunt Nico comes up hits a triple to right field two more runs added on the game started getting out of reach a bit which is good because the Mancini lighter error definitely or like Mancini two lighter error definitely made uh, uh, things a bit closer and, and more hairy there for a bit right. 
But then also he had the squeeze play that drove in a run with a bunt. So like Magical doing these little things and, and Ross pulling all the right strings, managing some of the little bounces going the Cubs right yeah. way. Like those are the things that have stood out to me over the last couple of weeks or 10 days or so that were for like six weeks just didn't go the Cubs yeah. way. And they were unlucky, but they also weren't executing at those little things. Yeah. They weren't doing the things well to play winning baseball. And now they are. Yeah. And, and the you jug runs, whatever. Like to me, the lowest point for the Cubs, uh, and and I wasn't in Anaheim, so I, maybe maybe it's the second lowest point for the Cubs this season was that loss in Houston in the finale, right, where they're yeah. up and they're they're cruising, and then they blow it in the ninth inning. Keegan Thompson struggles. Brandon Hughes gives up the game-winning run, and it's just it's just a demoralizing loss, right? And you yeah. kind of think like the wheels are going to fall apart here. To me, the story was yes, Keegan Thompson and, and Brandon Hughes struggled in the ninth inning, and and gave up the runs. But to me, the offense not being able to add those runs was, was just just killer for the Cubs that, in that game that that isn't the problem now. They're able to manufacture runs. They're able to slug for runs, right, whether it's a Nico Horner triple or a Christopher Morrell double or whatever, someone coming through or the, them hitting three home runs in an inning, like just things like that that weren't just weren't being done in that six-week stretch is, is, is just the difference between a winning ball, ball club and a, and a losing ball club. And, Frankly, that's what the Cubs have to keep doing, right? This stretch is good, but um, we think back on their last really good stretch where they took two out of three uh, against San Diego here at Wrigley Field. And that's kind of when everything started going downhill for them. They have to keep building on this to 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 really cement their place in the NL Central race, or else it's, it's it, 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 the run is for naught per se. Yeah, and they also I feel like they got through the toughest part of their schedule, like yeah. that almost two week long West Coast trip was yeah. really difficult. They emerged from it, uh, what, four and six, which isn't that awful when you consider that there's a three-game sweep in there, you know, the wrong way from the Cubs' perspective. Uh, And now their schedule is a little bit lighter. And, like, the Pirates have helped with that. Like, when when you first saw the Pirates on the schedule, oh, it's a first-place team. Now they're a fourth-place team. Like, all of a sudden, bam, the snap of fingers. St. Louis Cardinals are a last-place team. Again, I I think this weekend is huge. I do think the Cubs have a chance to bury Wilson Contreras and the Cardinals in the standings especially. Uh... But then, yeah, moving forward, you know, like you have some of these a little bit easier opponents coming coming down the line. And the Guardians aren't the Guardians that we saw last year. No. So the next homestand they're around. So a little bit easier schedule for the Cubs. If they can navigate the travel to London and not have any sort of setback, either in London or when they come back, I think that, that this run, they're not going to win eight of nine forever, no. but this run of successful baseball, this is might be who they are and and they might be that six-week stretch too where you know they struggled to score runs and whatever and this could just be a hot stretch but like i'm more inclined to think that this is the team that they do the little things well they're going to be at least around 500 or more and in this division that is enough to contend all the way through the end of the season and to me the the biggest thing right is starting pitching right what's the the vin scully famous sign right momentum's only as good as your next day starting pitcher and the cubs Every guy that trots out there at least gives them a chance to win, right? Like Drew Smiley has pitched well that you, you feel like you have a, a chance to win. Kyle Hendricks, you feel like you have a chance to win. Kyle, or excuse me, Marcus Stroman is definitely win day, right? Like yeah. you feel like you're going to guarantee a win. Justin Steele came back from the injured list and looked just as good. Jamison Tyone is the last guy I think they're waiting for to kind of get on that track. We've seen flashes of it uh-huh. throughout the season and is, and is before this last outing, the last two starts before that looked like he was coming around. If you can get that clicking, I mean, that's that's really, really good. And then the bullpen, right? We as maligned as it was during that six-week stretch, or really for for the first two months of the season, they've looked good in this stretch, right? And and part of that, yes, is being able to play with the lead a little bit, that there's a little bit less pressure on it. But 
in the run that they're on, the, the bullpen has been solid. 37 and two-thirds innings, 2-6-3 ERA, nine holds, and zero blown saves. I mean, that's that's Over the last 12 games, mm -hmm. yeah. That's huge. And to me, we talk about three-headed monsters, right? We saw it in 21 when it was Chafin, Tapera, and Kimbrell. Saw it last year when it was Givens, Martin, and Robertson. And this year, at least a month ago, you are probably like, what's the three-headed monster, right? Well, like, who yeah. is it? Because no one had really cemented it. Now you might be looking at Merriweather, Leiter, Adbert Alzali, right? And... And Michael well, Fulmer's coming Fulmer's back. Michael Fulmer's coming yeah. back, but that might be a four-headed monster, which, again, you get good starting pitching. You get it to the sixth, seventh inning, and those guys are pitching as they are. That's that's game, set, match. No, for sure. And and I think going back to your point about starting pitchers, like that's why I feel like the Reds might fall off at some point is that yeah. whole the age-old adage, like you said, about you're only as good as your next-day starter. And the Reds are playing great baseball, but like the Cubs have that in the rotation, and they have some depth. If they need Hayden Wisniewski to step back in or maybe Javier right. Assad, both guys who are in the bullpen, both guys who may excel in the bullpen. We've seen them have successful right. stretches as relievers too. So, um, yeah, you know, I think that that can definitely be a, a huge factor down the stretch. And to me too, like Kyle Hendricks is back looking like the professor for yeah. He had that awesome stretch in 21 for like three months, two months, where he was like a quality start every time out, and it was win day for him. The trade deadline happened. He kind of fell off a little bit too, but – he, he looks like that guy, but especially the guy in 2020 who in a shortened yeah. season, you know, was, was I think he led the league in, in innings that year. He had like a 280 or a whatever it was. But his last two road starts now in Pittsburgh and in San Francisco, one and run, 14 innings, season ERA down to 2-6. And he talked about it after his start at home last week that he felt like he's back to what he was doing that he wasn't doing the last couple of years, which is living at the bottom of the zone, especially with his fastball. He feels like he's working down. He's not missing, and he's not missing over the middle of the plate quite as much. He's keeping guys off balance. Like, he is back to the guy that we saw him for his entire career up until 2021. He's back to the guy who he was before he was healthy, which that was not a given. Come, no, not at this all. This year, we talked about in this podcast several times, or just off it and writing stories or just, you know, talking around the office. You, we didn't know what to count on from Kyle Hendricks. And now you have a guy that, like, He's right up there. Talk about three-headed monsters. You have him, Steele, and Stroman all with ERAs at 260 or below. That's that's incredible. And then, yeah, Tyone, I mean, he, Tyone's career ERA this year, and he's been around for a bit, has jumped 20 points with his 6-7 ERA this year. It's 3-8 coming into this season. It's up over four for his career because he struggled to that point. If the Cubs get anything from him moving forward, I think that that, that would just be absolutely huge for this team. Yeah, and what's, what's incredible is – the Drew Smiley's looked really good too, and and yeah, as Kyle just corrected, just two seven one ERA. Yeah, I'm sorry, Steele. Justin Steele two seven one ERA, so two seven one and below for the three guys. Still pretty good three headed monster. Right, but like we we go back. Uh, your your point on Hendricks is really interesting because we go back to like what we thought about before the season started. Right, what's the rotation? You you like Stroman, Tyone, Steele, Smiley, and then Wisniewski or Adrian Sampson or Javier Assad. And, like, you figured those it would be some combination of that. And, like, if Kyle Hendricks comes back. I mean, there were some people who were thinking, like, maybe he could serve in the bullpen or something because Hayden Wazeski might steal that fifth rotation spot and run yeah. with it. Or Adrian Sampson might. And, like, look, he's, he's cemented himself as the number three starter, which, again, is a huge testament to the work he put in, the, the ability to get back healthy. I mean, that's that's not to be taken lightly. Yes, like, you can be you can take for granted just how good he is, but that's that was just not a given even a year ago. And one thing just about this team that 
gives me like a level of optimism moving forward is the good stories. And I feel like every yeah. good team, there's really every team, there's some good stories, some surprising contributors, but the good teams almost kind of need that, at least yeah. in the role player category. And yeah, things like Hosmer and Mancini haven't quite worked out the way the Cubs had hoped, Tyone either. But like to have Hendricks come back and pitch this level is definitely something that was somewhat surprising, at least this year. But Mike Talkman has yeah. been talk about like a role player stepping up i mean he he's been incredible he has been exactly what the cubs have needed while cody bellinger was out but now he's what the cubs need even with cody bellinger back it allows bellinger to play first all of a sudden their defense over there is way better than it was with mancini and mervis his bat in the lineup his athleticism out there you know he stole a couple bases uh ran well on the bases even with that injured knee but like Yes, his defense isn't in center. Bellinger's defense isn't in center. But Talkman's looked really good, made yeah. some nice catches. And now he's leading off and like has a over 400 on base percentage. Like He's been the, – the Palatine native has been what this Cubs team has needed. Yeah, it's it's interesting because who would have thought that if you would have said even a month ago at the beginning of the season that if you had Mike Talkman to the lineup, that it lengthens the lineup. Like yeah, I, don't, yeah. I think if you would have said that, you would have been laughed off or people would have thought you are crazy. But it really does, right? Yeah. In April, you thought – how good the lineup, the Cubs lineup was when it was Nico, Dansby, Hap, Bellinger when Suzuki was hurt, and then Suzuki, Bellinger when they when they mm-hmm. came back, or some combination of that five. And now you think about it, all right, you can go to Talkman, you can have Horner as a good, who's a really good number two hitter, and then you go Suzuki, Hap, Swanson, Bellinger. Like think about it, Bell, Cody Bellinger. Morel seven. Yeah, yeah, like Cody Bellinger, who was as good in April as he was in his MVP season in 2017 or 2019, excuse me, around yeah. uh, whatever year it was. 19, yeah. 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 Um, hitting fifth and Christopher Morrell, who was like hitting a home run every at bat seemingly hitting seventh. Like that is a really yeah. deep lineup that just allows the Cubs to have success. Like we have seen the, over the last week. And then you have the best buncher in the league hitting ninth. Yeah, Nick exactly. Madrigal. No, I know, but you're right. Like Talkman's play overall has been just a huge, it, it's been a jolt to this team. I yeah. mean, it was the, was it Sunday game against Baltimore where, um, he makes that great catch and throws a guy out at home and like yeah. in the first in- or sorry it wasn't a great catch but like he tried to make a great catch ends up throwing the guy out at home though on a sacrifice fly attempt then comes up hits a home run right away you know and it's like he just keeps doing all of these little things in Pittsburgh right away he had uh in like the pouring rain on Monday he had a, a two-run single up the middle uh he's just coming through in a lot of big moments he had a homer here wait was that today Tuesday, I'm losing track. Yeah. He had the homer, you know, against the Pirates as well on, on Tuesday night. So, like, he, he is coming through, whether he's hitting the ball out of the ballpark, drawing a walk, having a good at bat, making a nice catch, making a nice throw, filling out the, the lineup to, to lengthen it, making David Ross feel a lot more at ease, making the other guys feel more at ease. It's, it's really interesting to watch. So, it's been a cool story. One of the best stories that the Cubs have had in recent years because of the fact that he's a local product as well. Yeah. So, you know, the guy that grew up going to games in the bleachers is now – making the fans in the bleachers, giving them a lot to cheer for as well. So definitely a cool story. But um, before we get out of here, we got a cool interview with Sean, uh, Sean Marshall coming up. He stops by and we chat with him for a few things. But I want to touch on, we talked about Morrell a bit on DHing, and you had a, a cool story just in chatting with him about how his process has changed as a DH because we've seen a lot of success with him in yeah. that spot. He wasn't used to that. A young player coming up, he's used to playing the field every day, and he really struggled when he was only hitting but he's changed that a bit. And you had a cool story at MarqueeSportsNetwork.com on it. Yeah, I, I talked to him about it. And one thing he mentioned was when he first got to DH, and he hadn't DH in the major leagues um, before, and so this was the first time doing it this year. And when he first did it, 
if he gotten out, right, if he grounded out, if he struck out or whatever, he'd go back to his iPad, go back to the iPad in the dugout and look at, okay, what went wrong? And he would see like, oh, like my hands were a little lower or, oh, my swing plane, my swing path started a little too soon or what, like any little detail like that. And so then he would go in the cage and just try and focus on making sure his hands were in the right spot or making sure his swing was on the right, was starting at the right time and he was loading at the right time. And he was doing this and swinging constantly, swinging constantly, swinging constantly. And it just wasn't, it wasn't help, healthy for him, really. Like, at, at the end of the day, right? He was tinkering way too much. Right, right. Yeah. He was overthinking where it's like you think about it when you swing. You swing 20 times. Not every tw- not every single time is it going to be exactly the same. So if you look at it and you see one wrong thing, you're, you're correcting something that might not even exist, frankly. And what he, he put so much pressure on himself as a DH where he realized, like, the only way I can help the team is in my four at-bats, five at-bats, however many I get. And if I don't help them out in this, like I'm letting my team down, mm-hmm. and that wore on him mentally. And PP Cabrera and Mike Napoli, first base coach and assistant uh, hitting coach, they 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 told him, hey, like you you're gonna fail, and if you fail, like that's in the past, right? The, the only thing that matters is that next at bat. So Morel mentioned when he's playing defense, whether he's playing center field, the third base, whatever, he could kind of get his mind off it because he's got to think about like what's the pitcher doing, like. What's this hitter tendency? Like he's thinking about everything defensively that he's not thinking about his swing. As a DH, he was doing that. And so one thing that Mike Napoli, who has played plenty of D, who played plenty of DH in his career, he told him, hey, let's keep you active. Like you're going to sit on the dugout. You're not going to go take 100 swings in between at-bats. You're going to watch the game. You're going to act like if you were at third base or at center field, and you're going to see what the, the, the game, how the game's playing out. Or if, if our team's hitting, you're going you're gonna to watch the pitcher and how he attacks. And then when you're maybe four or five at bats away from hitting, you'll go down in the cage. You'll take a couple of swings, and once you once it feels like it clicks, you're good. You're done. And that routine has kind of allowed him to have success as a DH, and and allowed him to to not have that mental wear on him where he feels like I have to have a, a five run home run every single at bat yeah. because I I struck out the last two times, and that's been successful for the Cubs, and it's so far successful for for Christopher Morel and. Really, if, if you can get him at the DH role, that, again, lengthens the offense. It, it helps the Cubs overall. And, and this new routine, the, the Cubs hope, can, can help him on that path. Yeah, and because everybody's been playing pretty well all around the diamond, too, yeah. that's the best place for Morrell to impact yeah. the lineup is by DHing on a at least somewhat regular basis. So, yeah, if you can continue along that, that path, I think that's huge for the Cubs. But we're going to take a quick break here on the Cubs Weekly Podcast. When we come back, we're going to talk to Sean Marshall about London, about the pitcher-catcher dynamic, about a whole bunch of things. So stay tuned for that. You've got the jersey, the ball cap, the foam finger. Everyone can see you're a Chicago Cubs fan from a mile away. Ready to take your look to the next level upgrade your wallet with an exclusive cubs debit card which you can get when you open a wintrust cubs checking account with no monthly fees free atms nationwide and a 300 bonus when you open your account start showing your cubs pride with every purchase sign up at wintrust.com cubs only 100 required to open no monthly minimum balance and no monthly maintenance fees member fdic and equal housing lender Hey everybody, welcome back into the Cubs Weekly Podcast. We're joined by a special guest now, Sean Marshall, who, uh, as he's already said, he has outdressed us today. So Sean, thanks (laughs) for having us. Straight straight from the set and the podcast with the boys. And looking good. I definitely like the tie. 
been a long time since I've worn a tie. I know that for yeah, sure. But it's probably a good thing, I, I yeah. think, right? Do you I, do you keep the tie like tight, or do you tie? This is this is. I like, loosened totally it up not. for this, but it's usually pretty tight. Start getting yeah. some sweat, some some dirt around the collar ring going. But do you tie yeah. it new every time? Like, cause I I new don't. every time. Oh no, you don't I need just, the wrinkles. Don't need to damage the ties. No. I just slip it over my head and just tighten it up. <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm with you. Too. Oh, yeah. It's quick, quick and easy. If you're clipping it. Then we got a problem. Well, no. yeah, no, 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 yeah. no clipping, no clipping. You go in my closet and there's like 15 ties that are already tied, and I just put them over my head and go yeah. right up. I don't. Want I've to tied a bunch that. of ties. Fortunately, for the last four years doing the okay the pre and post game show, so I got pretty good at the double Windsor going. Nice. Tightens up nice. All right, I'm gonna bring all my ties and have you retie them for me if you don't mind. <laughs> next time I see you. Um, but yeah, beyond attire, we brought you on just to talk baseball. And sure. one thing that we want to kick off a little fun topic that Andy and I were talking about last week with Elise Meneker, and I know she was talking on the broadcast with Boog and Joe Girardi, and then we saw with our friend Russ Dorsey was talking on Twitter yesterday about it too. What <laughs> does batting around mean in baseball? I know where Andy and I stand. I want to know where you stand, Sean. Okay, what so does batting around I brought mean my in score inning? sheet from today's game. If, it's, if you have to fill out an entire inning, so if you go all the way nine, then you have no more room left, and then you have to go to the next spot right there, that's batting around. So I think when the 10th hitter on the scorebook comes up in the same inning, that's batting around for me. Okay. If that makes any sense. So, so the 10th so hitter. So you have nine completed at-bats. Nine completed at-bats, right? And then you have to jump over and scratch out the, the inning and then add uh, you know, what if the, the next ninth, What if the ninth hitter makes the last out? then you don't have to technically do that. Do you consider mm, yeah. that fighting around? Uh, well, man, it is a good question that's up for debate. I mean, no doubt about it. But yeah. I think if the 10th batter in the inning, and I'll talk a little league or where you bat 11 and 12 or whatever, you score it. Yeah, I think you have to mark that that, that guy batted. So I guess it's okay. the, 10th, the 10th hitter. Okay. So When it messes up your scorecard, that's, that's my answer for that. <laughs> That's fair. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, so somebody has to bat twice in an inning for you, or at least a spot yeah, has to bat twice. I think so. Yeah, okay, exactly. That's fair. It seems like it's a, up for debate, though. Yeah, it seems Still. like a lot of like former players are actually in that in that realm, in that line of thinking. I, I'm yeah. the opposite. I think that only nine hitting. One of the is, nine hits. That's batting around to me, but yeah. like, I, you know, and I know Andy's I, in the same Yeah, spot, I'm in the same so. boat. And sure. yeah. I forgot who had the, maybe it was you or maybe it was Elise, had the analogy that if you think about it like a clock, right? Yeah. Sure. Where it's like 12. Is is it around once it hits twelve or once it hits one? Mm. So that was yeah, and, and I said twelve, so that was that's yeah. why I go nine to bat. She went to Cornell, right? Yeah, yeah. Did, yeah. So. She's smarter than all of yeah. us. So. I just went to VCU. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it was three years I got drafted. And I was like, yeah, get out of there. <laughs> um, all right. So beyond that, Sean, the Cubs have been playing fantastic lately. Sure. You know, they just were recording this on Wednesday afternoon here. They just finished off another sweep of the Pirates. They've won eight of their last nine. They're on a roll. But just overall, what has stood out to you about this Cubs team recently or all season? Well, a lot of things have stood out to me. Really, the starting pitching has been great. And Hendricks is back, and he looks like his old self once again, which has been awesome. Stroman at the top of the rotation. Getting Steele back has been huge for the club as well because those guys are number one and number three in National League ERA. So start to the top is starting pitching, but the offense – just continues to score. They continue to score through the whole game. And there hasn't been a whole lot of instance like we saw when they struggled in May where they kind of, you know, like a one-run lead and they don't ever add to their lead. But so far in June, it feels like they're able to separate the score a little bit, put it out of reach, and then in a full-circle effort, 
it makes it easier to pitch for a bullpen guy because I was a reliever for most of my career. And when you're coming in a tie game, a one-run game, high leverage, you got a lot of pressure on your shoulders. You're like, oh, you know, you get a little tentative, but they've been able to kind of free themselves up. And then David Ross has found kind of a niche role for most of these relief pitchers now. So now they kind of know when they're pitching. They can feel the situation, but it really helps that the offense has been clicking and really just adding on to their score and giving more comfortability for the guys that are coming in out of the bullpen. But just a really well-rounded effort. The at-bats have been great. Everything's just been great. Defense, all of it, and that's why they just have won 9 out of 10. You kind of touched on it, but I'm, I'm curious. When, the, when things weren't going well for the Cubs, uh, it was the bullpen had to be perfect. Jed Hoyer mentioned that, right? Like right. He, you had to give up no runs or at most one earned sure. run or one run, excuse me, every single time you're out there. That's right. got to be a lot of strain on the bullpen. It's, yeah, it's What's that like for, for a bullpen when pressure when on the staff? Yeah, and it, there's a different feeling when you're sitting down there and you're watching the game develop and you kind of know your your turn is coming up. Like I was a setup guy, pitched in the seventh inning, eighth inning. When the score was tied in the ninth, I was sometimes coming in on those situations. But yeah, it's it's it helped them free it up because of the scoring. You know, mm-hmm. the, the, the uh, ability to be in a role, knowing your role, knowing those things. But um, yeah, I think that the, bu- the bullpen's been functioning extremely well because they kind of have found their their niche roles, and and really it's just been easier for them. You know, and less pressure moments coming in with the leads. So in Wednesday's game, the series finale in Pittsburgh, uh, the Pirates had Rich Hill out on the mound, oldest player in baseball, 43 years yeah. old, but a former teammate of yours. Sure. Did you think he'd still be pitching now? And what was it like? It's, it's being amazing. With him? And he's he's played for 12 different teams. Yeah. And I was looking at the game notes, like 600 different teammates. So I'm just one of 600. But I That's did. Crazy. I came up with with Rich Hill. Uh, we were we weren't drafted the same year, but we came up in the minor leagues together. We were roommates in spring training, just a, a humble guy, a super nice guy, and the longevity of his career, he's 43 years old. 43 years yeah, old, my, yeah. I mean, my shoulder doesn't work anymore. It's like a <laughs> decrepit, like 60-year-old shoulder. But for him to have that kind of career and battle through a lot of adversity, some ups and downs, some minor league stints, independent ball stints, you know, he had some personal things going on in his personal life that made it really tough for him. But, you know, everybody that's played with him, and everybody that knows Rich Hill, he's a great guy, and he's easy to root for. And even though he was pitching for the Pirates today, I was rooting for him to pitch well, but still the Cubs won, and that's pretty much exactly what happened. Yeah, and, and what's we, something that was fascinating you mentioned on pregame show with Cole Wright was you were you were storming partner, right? So do you yeah. have any like, and you were, it was roommate. Yeah, it's we your were, best yeah. Rich, Rich Hill story. That we you were, uh, you know, we're kind of both curveball specialists. I mean, in today's game, I think he threw about fifty percent curveball, which yeah. is par for his course and was almost par for my course as well. But I remember playing catch in Wrigley, and we both had the, the curveballs going pretty good that day. And we would just throw them, and you just tighten the spin. It was like kind of the first person to clank one, not catch it right or drop it or whiff at it, kind of would like win the contest. So we'd be throwing these big, you know, big 12-6 curveballs to each other. And it's not fun catching a major league oh, yeah. curveball. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, well, I, I didn't want I nothing to do with Rich's curveball. Yeah. But that, that's something I remember uh, for sure. But yeah, Who great won? teammate. Oh man, I, you know I think I think I might have won. I, he really, <laughs> <laughs> he didn't really, if we sometimes him, you get tentative, have, you know, t- tentative yeah. about catching those things and getting jammed and then tying up your glove hand. But we had we had a great time. He's a great teammate, great person. And uh, another guy that was playing not today's game, but last night's game, Tuesday night, was Tucker Barnhart. And I remember you sure. were talking in the post game show too that you 
remember Tucker as a rookie. You know, your last year in Cincinnati was his first year there. So yeah. what, what do you remember about Tucker and, you know, just like how cool is it to see the career that he's been at and how yeah. well-respected he is as a receiver behind the plate? Well, I remember when he came up, and I actually was with him for two years. 14, he had kind of a, a short stint at the big league level. And the 15, kind of almost came one of the regular guys flipping with Devin Mesoraco. I was hurt for the back end of my stint. I didn't really pitch at all in 15, but I was around the team. I was kind of like mentoring the bullpen guys just a little bit, kind of being a player coach. I was coming off my third shoulder surgery. Unfortunately, it was just tough. But I remember Tucker coming up and just kind of keeping his mouth quiet and just learning and absorbing information. Uh, Devin Mesoraco was one of our catchers at the time and just kind of soaking it all in. And he was a quiet guy, but he, we'd play some video games in like a rain delay or something, but he'd like be really good at it. <laughs> and then, you know, when I did get to pitch to him, I could tell that he was a, a good receiver, always had a great target, always a great blocker, held the running game in check exceptionally well. But, you know, in those couple of years I was with him, you could just see that this, he was a smart player, like a good baseball IQ guy. You know, I go, you know, I retire, I watch him from afar wins a couple gold gloves, and it's like, that's the, the guy they wanted. You know, struggled a little bit offensively, being a switch hitter, had a little bit better stroke from the left side, I always thought, and he kind of went to be a full-time left-hand hitter. But, uh, again, a great guy, um, great baseball IQ, has got a ton of experience. It was awesome to see him get his first Cubs home run in the third inning on Tuesday's game, which put the Cubs up one nothing. It's the game-winning home run because yeah. they didn't get any runs. So <laughs> game-winning game home runs can yeah. happen in the third. It doesn't yeah. matter. Uh, so it's cool to root for for Tucker and see him do a nice job as a Cub. You mentioned something interesting just with, with how he sets up and his targeting. Um, I wrote a story on MarqueeSportsNetwork.com about his relationship with Marcus Stroman. And sure. one of the things that David Ross and the Cubs thought, why it made sense to have those two guys partner up, and it's been so successful, especially as of sure. late, was the way he sets up low and is able to kind of steal strikes yeah. or, or steal pitches uh, low in the zone because he sets up low and can kind of manipulate yeah. the bottom of the sure. zone. In, in I guess to, to simplify it, like how how is he able to do it? Like what makes that so successful, and why is that a good pairing with? with it, yeah, Stroman? it's great. Well, Stroman lives in the bottom of zone. You know, obviously a sinker ball pitcher gets tons of ground balls, and at times when a catcher like Tucker Jan can do it really well. Even Wilson Contreras worked really hard on it for the past couple of years before he went to St. Louis on grabbing those low pitches, and that's become the new status quo. Is guys are setting up low below the zone, and then picking the ball on the way up, right? So it appears when the umpire is peering over his shoulder or in the middle of the plate that that pitch, he started low and he caught it back in the strike zone at the bottom of the strike zone. And we watch the game on TV. We get this beautiful white box. It's got, you know, it shows the pitch tracking from the, from the center field camera. But everybody thinks that maybe the umpire's got that box too. No, he doesn't. He doesn't have a box there. So the optics of catching the ball low, staying low and grabbing it, uh, on the way up, make it appear to the umpire as a strike. And Tucker and all the Cubs catchers, they work hard on it, but also uh, stealing pitches off the plate where they can kind of position their body where they catch the ball in front of them. So they lean to the outside corner and bring the ball back onto the plate or vice versa the other way is huge in stealing strikes. And, and we all know that when you are pitching and you can get a borderline call that's probably a ball called a strike, yeah. It's, it goes entirely in the pitcher's favor. Averages change significantly from hitter's counts to pitcher's counts, and the Cubs catching core over the past years that I've been doing this pre- and post-game show have really gotten a lot better. Maybe it's Mike Napoli, who is a career catcher, and some corner positions, you know, uh, helping those guys out along the way. So 
Yeah, great stuff there. And it's, it's key to, to be in pitcher's counts versus hitter's counts. How important, too, just is the like personal dynamic between a pitcher and a catcher? Because in Andy's story, you know, he just talked about how Stroman and Tucker are yeah. connecting on a personal level, but like Stroman never shakes off Tucker at yeah. all, right? And like I read the I, rose bottles of wine and yeah. watches, and yeah. like that. That was fascinating. That like Stroman, a very well-established pitcher, never shakes at all. He's always down to throw whatever. But That's like, cool. how important is that trust between a pitcher and catcher? And like, you know, we saw David Ross was John Lester's personal catcher, and both of those guys helped elevate each other's career. But you yeah. know, we see it when it works out well. But then we also probably don't see it as much when it doesn't work well, or like we don't hear sure. those kind of stories. But it's a big deal, even still, with all the analytics and all the stats and everything else you can do nowadays, yeah, right? Yeah, true that. And, and the statistics show that the Stroman-Tucker-Barnhart relationship is great. I think after Stroman's seven innings of shutout work the other day, I think their catcher tandem ERA was like 1.6, if I'm yeah. 1.63 or something really nice. And, you know, the game has sped up a lot with the pitch clock and being able to use the pitch calm and being on the same page and not having to shake or, you know, step off or use your timeouts or, or catch a ball on the time delay, the... Um, Delay clock, you know, uh, it's been huge. But, you know, when you develop a great rapport with your catcher and you got that trust factor, which we have seen with, you know, both the catchers, uh, even Amaya's doing a nice job too, but yeah. especially the Stroman Barnhart connection, it becomes easier to just have confidence in what you throw. And, you know, everybody's got talent at the big league level, but a lot of it's like in here and in your heart. And if you can kind of trust in both of these things, that what you're doing, you pitch it with conviction that way, you end up getting a little bit better results, and we've seen a nice nice relationship between those two on the field and off the field. And, and you mentioned it too a little bit, but like the takeaway for me was in this, when they get out of the seventh inning, and Stroman's really pumped, and we know his emotions, but sure. if you look behind the mound, if you go back and replay it, Huge Tucker's just as excited. Yeah. yeah, oh, no doubt. And as, as catcher, Tucker's back there for the whole game, he wants nothing but for the starting pitcher or any pitcher that catches to do well. And you feel that kind of enthusiasm. Like, I always say you got to want it you got to have it. And, you know, if you want something bad enough, like Tucker wanted that out call, that strike three, the bottom of the zone to Mitchell right there. And he showed his enthusiasm, which I love. You know, Strowman's with the chest pound, LeBron yeah. James chest pound going. <laughs> and uh, just, you know, that's just pitching with your heart and leaving, leaving on the field, pitching with emotion. And those guys have a great relationship, and, and it shows that you know each one cares about each other. So coming up here in a couple of days, Cubs are going to London. Obviously a really awesome sure. thing. Uh, it'll be just visually very cool to see the Cubs and yeah. the Cardinals, two long rivals playing against each other in London. I know the Cubs are looking forward to it. It's going to be tough travel and stuff, but Sean, yeah. as a former player, like what – how would you approach this weekend? And it's only a two-game series. You do have the couple days off before, day off after. But it's an eight-and-a-half-hour flight, total difference in time change. The Cubs are doing all yeah. these different things. We heard Taylor McGregor talk about it, like all the different things that they're doing to try to make sure that they're staying awake so their sleep cycle gets on yeah. the right path. And yeah. uh, But like, how would you approach this all to make sure that you're rested, but you're also ready to compete and also taking in the moment and understanding yeah. how awesome and historic time it is? Too, but, yeah. You know, right now with the Cubs – playing so well I even think like tomorrow and Friday being off days might even cool them down a little bit and we hope that's not the scenario but yeah you kind of stick to the experts you know that you know who knows the body better maybe it's a doctor or something hey you guys are leaving late you're going to take what a red eye over you're landing at 10 in the morning mm -hmm. that time stay up all day combat the jet lag and, and you should feel pretty pretty fresh for Saturday's game but 
yeah, I would just follow the experts. I'd kind of do what everybody else is doing. Um, but more importantly, uh, the Cardinals at this time have won four games in a row. Yeah. You want to keep the Cardinals as far away from you as you can. You want to win every game. So it is very important for the Cubs to go in to this weekend. And no matter how fun it is and how scenic it is and how tough it is with the flights and the travel, to go in there and win those two games. And they got both the dogs going in game one and two. They got Steele in game one, Stroman in game two. So they're sitting pretty. Do you think there would be any sort of issue as a player to like make sure to remind yourself, hey, these are not exhibition games. These are real. It doesn't. It may not feel like yeah. it, but like these are real regular season games, as you mentioned, that stand that count yeah. in the standings really a ton. Yeah, they'll probably work out on Friday, I'm yeah. assuming, but they get in at a decent time tomorrow. So if you want to have your kind of your play day over there, you want to do most of your exploring, you're gonna have to do it with some tired eyes maybe on Thursday. <laughs> And get all, get all the kicks, see yeah. everything you can, and then, you know, maybe a casual day on Friday, get your workout in, feel ready, um, and then be ready for Saturday's game. But, yeah, I think you want to have some fun, of course. Yeah. Baseball's fun. It's a game, right? We always say it's a game. And it is, but they should definitely try to take it seriously and turn up that uh, competitive spirit Saturday when they go against Adam Wainwright. I'm curious, is, like, the closest comparison maybe, like, a New York to L.A. road trip, like – is that probably as close as you're going to get to? Um, you know what? What, I, what, got, what got me thinking about the the travel part is when I was with the Reds in 2012, a really good team, playoff team. We go to San Francisco, and we take two games from San Francisco, both night games, late in the night, and obviously with the time difference, it felt even later. So we get on the plane after the game, we fly into Cincinnati, which is about a 30 minute drive or 40 minute drive uh, to the airport. So we get in at like I don't know seven in the morning, eight in the morning drive home your body clock is really jacked up from being on west coast time and the giants stayed put they stayed in san francisco they got a great night's sleep in their bed they flew out on the off day in between the two three two three at the time the game's set and then they came they won three games against us and i felt like we were a little bit jet lagged a little bit weary so that 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 came to my mind about you know, traveling from west to east like the Cubs are doing. I remember when the Cubs had to go in uh, 2017 when they won that epic game five in D.C., you know, uh, and they'd be like Max Scherzer came out of the bullpen, mm-hmm. and it was this crazy game. But then they had to immediately get from there to face the Dodgers in the NLCS again. So they had to go all the way to L.A. There was an issue, I, I think, something with, like, uh, somebody's wife, maybe Quintana's wife or somebody, they had to like deplane at one point too. Yeah, there was like a whole big thing, but it was a horrible day of travel. And then the Cubs had to play right after, and uh, they won one game, I think, back here at Wrigley. But they didn't yeah. win either of the games in LA. But they were just they were gassed. And then to have the DC to LA travel was yeah, just and a as lot. a player, like you think about what's hard about being a major leaguer, you know those turnarounds too. When you're changing times and you're flying across the country, either you're going east to west. Is always tough, but I always thought when we were here in Chicago or Cincinnati, which is East Coast time, playing that night game and then flying west to San Francisco or LA or Angels or San Diego, whatever, I always thought that first game was always in the West Coast time zone team's favor. And I feel like it was always really tough for our teams to score. So you kind of like chalk up game one of the series was usually yeah. to the home guys, it felt like in my career. It's interesting you yeah. say that because like it's – you think about travel and you think like it's got to be like it's got to be easy to overcome that but it's really not like you have to yeah. get your body prepared to and like when you're in the moment you don't really 
feel it. Like you're not like, right. oh, you know what? I, I probably should be getting my sleep now on the plane. Right. Or, right. You know, I'm gonna stay and play cards with the boys. You don't. Yeah. You kind of don't feel it as the season goes, but then like looking back, being retired now, like that travel part was easier when you're younger, I guess yeah. we right. could say, yeah. right. and difficult. You know, more difficult when you get older because you know, some of us have kids yeah. at the yeah. time. I had kids when I was playing, and you know, sometimes the kids will be. Waking you up at 5 a.m. Like, no, 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 I need to sleep here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the, they go to London. They were in Iowa last year. They've done the, the Cubs have done the Little League game, too. So I guess a million-dollar question, yeah. if you could pick next for the Cubs, what mm. would be the next location that you would that uh, you would like to see them play in? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it'd be cool to play somewhere kind of beachy, I guess. Either, yeah. like, play on a coast. I don't yeah. know if there's stadiums that are, like, right on – Right on the coast, looking at the ocean. You think about like San Francisco, that's on a bay or whatever. But that'd be cool to have a, a special venue set up where, you know, if a guy hits a ball out to left field, it goes onto the rocks and then into the ocean or something like awesome. that. Yeah. But playing in Hawaii or even playing somewhere like in Europe, like going to the Coliseum. Right. Like, obviously, they don't have baseball games, obviously, but somewhere where like there's a ton of history mm. yeah. would be kind of cool. But yeah, they've kind of checked a lot of these uh, bucket lists. With the Field of Dreams last year and the Little League game, um, pretty cool. Yeah, good time to be a, a ball player when they're setting up these cool venues for the players to play. It's interesting you said why, because I interviewed a, a few of the, of the guys on the team. have a story coming out on MarqueeSportsNetwork.com about where next, and Nick Madrigal said he would love to play a game in Hawaii. Like oh, that's, cool. that's, that's his yeah. spot. He grew up going to Hawaii. Oh, nice. He would love to see that. Some of the other mentions, Nico Horner said Japan. Dansby Swanson said Japan. Cool. Uh, Cubs obviously have played there. And then Marcus Stroman had a unique one. He said Latin America, but he also said he would like to play in Paris. So, yeah. like, that would be, a, I think that would be a fun place to go uh, to. And I feel like with, with Stroman's answer and the other guys who want to play in Japan, it's a little bit of a different environment. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like cheering the whole game, and it makes it probably pretty fun to play. Like we saw in the World Baseball Classic, yeah. Yeah. the enthusiasm in some of these cities make it really fun to play. It's like a playoff game, which is in, in turn, it's just an exhibition for the most part. Right. Well, Sean, thanks so much for stopping by. We really My appreciate pleasure. all the insight and uh, hope to have you on again yeah. soon. You guys are doing a great job, as always, aren't they? Thanks, <laughs> Sean. All right, that'll do it for this edition of the Cubs Weekly Podcast. Remember, we are sponsored by Wintrust. Don't forget to download and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. For Sean and Andy, I'm Tony. Thanks for listening and tuning in.